So today we are wrapping up this uh, study that we've called the kingdom. Um, but first, let's review. Uh, Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was God's space and man's space. But he intentionally designed it as a place where God's space and man's space could be the same space. And Genesis 2 tells us that in this amazing creation, in this amazing world that God created, there was a mountain. And on that mountain, there was a place called Eden. And within Eden, there was a garden. And in that garden is where God placed the centerpiece of creation, mankind. And over the last few weeks, we've even learned the Hebrew word for mankind. What is it? Adam, mankind. And in Eden... On this mountain, in Eden, right, in the corner of Eden was this garden, and that's where God placed mankind. And in this amazing, beautiful garden kingdom, God provided Adam with everything he needed to flourish and to thrive and to experience great relationships with each other and to experience a great relationship with God. And mankind there enjoyed God's provision and God's protection and God's purpose, and best of all, mankind experience God's presence. Because God's space and man's space was the same space. And in that garden, God gave man free will. He gave him the choice that he could trust God, he could stay in the garden, and there he could fully rely on God's provision and protection and purpose, and God's version of right and wrong and good and evil, or man could choose to leave God's presence and try to find provision and protection and purpose in himself. And then came the snake and temptation and sin and self. And mankind chose sin and self-reliance. And he chose to be separated from God, and God honored Adam's choice, and he kicked him out of the garden. And man's space and God's space were torn apart. And most of the rest of the Bible is the story of God working to reunite God's space and man's space into one space. And he said he would do it through the Messiah the anointed one, the holy one, the one man that would come and restore God's kingdom and who would be and who would give birth to and who would empower this new humanity to be its citizens. And the Messiah's name was Jesus. And then if we skip to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, we see that it happens. It all fully comes together and we fully experience God's kingdom, and there all the wrongs are righted, and all the tears are dried, and everything is made new, and best of all, God's space and man's space are the same space. Amen. Amen. And so, Christians, the good news for us is we are that new humanity that Jesus came to give birth to, that Jesus came to empower with his spirit, because now we are the body of Christ. And we're, we're full of his spirit. And God is bringing his kingdom here in us and through us. And we've talked about this. It's a weird paradox 
because our recreation as new Christ-like humanity is both here and it's coming. It's already and it's not yet. And so is his kingdom. Jesus said that his kingdom is already here. But he also said that we should pray for his kingdom to come. So just like us, even though it's here, God's kingdom is also coming to reunite God's space and man's space. How are we doing? Good? So today we're going to talk about experiencing the overlap. So we've talked a lot about passing out kingdom samples to non-believers to help people like experience a little taste um, to kind of invite the world into God's kingdom. And today we're going to talk about kind of a different perspective. Today we're going to talk about us experiencing God's kingdom samples as his followers, as citizens of the kingdom who are kind of stuck here as his ambassadors. And we started this whole series by talking about how we all have this, like this longing for home, right? Because we were all created for God's kingdom, but we're stuck here in the kingdom of darkness. And that's why this world tastes so ugly to us. Um, several years ago, I went to Kenya for eight days and I lost 11 pounds. Because and it's not that there wasn't food. There was food, but it was horrible. I couldn't, it was horrible. And they bring out this food and the people there were like really happy that we were there or whatever. And they would like bring out these feasts of this like I, horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. And they had this, one thing was like some kind of rice, kind of like Spanish rice, we would call it. And that was like, you could eat that. And then also they had um, really good oranges. So that's what I ate for 11 days. I was, man, I was just dying. I got back, you know, the 15 hour flight or whatever, right? So I get back, I land at the airport and I can't wait to see my family and see my church and get back to my home and take my shower and sleep in my bed. And I was very excited about getting home. But on the way, I stopped off at Freddy's Frozen Custard <laughs> for a double cheeseburger, right? And so like I pull up, you know, she hands me the order out the window and I said, you know, could I get some extra napkins? And when she came back with the napkins, cheeseburger was gone, right? I mean, it's just so good. Uh, just like the best, that's the like best food I've ever had in my mouth. It was just the best, best, best thing. What I would have given for that cheeseburger four days earlier, right? I mean, because I, I just, a, just a taste of home, right? What I would have given for a taco, I mean, just one, to, or coffee. They didn't even have coffee. Kenya's famous for coffee. They don't drink coffee, they drink tea. It was just like hell on earth, man. And I, if, if I could have, listen to me, listen. If I could have just had one cup, right? One taco, one cheeseburger to tide me over, I, I would have gladly killed a person. <laughs> if I could have just had a little home cooking, you know, during that time. And as God is building his kingdom in us and as God is building his kingdom through us and as we're working together and together with him to evangelize and to make disciples and to pass out these kingdom samples, wouldn't it be cool if we could just once in a while experience a taste of God's kingdom here and now? That's the overlap. That's the overlap. 
That's the place where God's space and man's space overlaps and comes together in these special moments, in these special places, and we experience his space and our space as one. So where can we get a taste of this overlap that will eventually grow into God's kingdom fully come? And in the Bible, this is the concept of temple. Let me hear you say the word temple. So this, the temple concept is this idea of a completely holy, completely unique place where, where God's space and man's space are together now. And so we see the first picture of this in Genesis 2 in the garden, right? This was up on a mountain, and God and man were together. So Eden was the first temple. It was a place where God's space overlapped with man's space. We had this perfect oneness with God and his provision and his protection and his purpose and his presence. And then it all got trashed. But the temple concept shows up again and again in the Bible, in specific places, in specific times, um, like on certain mountains. And maybe you've noticed this. Um, the one in Eden was one, but there's a whole bunch of them in the Bible. Um, I'll, I'll go through a, cu- a couple of them real quickly with you, okay? So in Exodus 3, 1, it says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel appeared to him in a blazing bush What happened there? God spoke to mankind. They shared the same space. And do you remember what God said to him? Take off your sandals. How come? This is holy ground, man. This is, is, that mountain in that moment was a sacred place. It was a holy place. It was a temple. It was a place where God and man came together. After the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, it was an incredible miracle. You know the story, the ocean opened up and they walked through it. The soldiers came in and it crashed in and crushed them all and all that. And so now, afterwards, the Israelites are celebrating, right? They're worshiping God for getting them through this. And they, and they sing this song uh, in Exodus 15 about what God had done and what God will do for his people. Look what it says. This is Exodus 15, 17. You will bring them in. You will bring your people in and plant them on your own mountain the place that the Lord has reserved for your own dwelling. He's planting humanity in a place where God lives. That's God's space. And man's space is one space. So that mountain would be like a temple. Uh, When Moses met with God to get the law, right, and to to, to make this covenant with, with God's people and God, Moses experienced the presence of God. Because, remember, God and Moses were together in one place, and, and where was that temple? Mount Sinai. It's all through the Bible. It's all through the Bible. These temples, these mountain experiences where God's space and man's space are the same space. Um, remember the showdown with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? This is in like 1 Kings 18. And God sends fire down, right? And here God is showing his power to his people and God's people are actually experiencing his power Where did that interaction between God and man take place? Mount Carmel, right? Where did Solomon build the temple as a place for God and man to meet? It's here it is, 2 Chronicles 3.1. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord first appeared to David. 
Micah prophesied in Micah 4, 2, that people from all nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Um, do you remember when Jesus was transfigured and his body was glorified by God? Where did, where did that happen? We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Mount Tabor. Uh, Mount Calvary was where Jesus died to unite man and God. The Mount of Olives where, is where the man, Jesus, ascended to God's space. Revelation 21 and 22 talks about us seeing the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, and it's coming down. And it says rivers are flowing down from it. So, I mean, I'm not a physics expert, but water always goes downhill. So where is this place? It's on a mountain. So there's something about these certain mountains throughout the Bible. They're, they're temples, like the garden. They're a place where God's space and man's space overlap. The next overlap in the Bible happens in the tabernacle. Now, this is like a tent. That's what it means. It was a special tent that Israel had set up in the desert as a meeting place um, for God and mankind. Um, who's up for some Bible geek stuff? Just real quick. How many? Just let me see, because I'm not going to. Okay. Um, so, stay awake now. The, the ancient Hebrews and Egyptians and Assyrians and Babylonians and pretty much all ancient civilizations understood the universe a little bit differently than us. Right? Remember, they didn't have telescopes. Right? They didn't have satellite imagery and all that stuff. So they didn't see the earth as a big blue ball floating through the universe. And they didn't see the heavens as planets and stars and galaxies. We've talked about this, right? They had a different view of things. And one of their views is they thought that our sky had a solid dome over it. They thought our sky had a solid dome going over it. All of them, Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, and certainly the Israelites thought that there was a dome. You know why they thought that? Because that's what it looks like. Look outside. When you go outside, look, and you're going to see it looks exactly like we're in this like upside-down bowl sitting over. It's exactly what it looks like. And also for the Israelites, they read the, the creation story, and it says that the world was this weird, dark, scary, watery, uninhabitable mess. And then it says that on day one, God created light and dark, right? And then on day two, Genesis 1-6 says, then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of God's space, heaven, from the waters of man's space. The New Living Translation calls it a space. Does anybody have a Bible with a different, that says something different than space? You gotta, like some of them say a vault, or let there be an expanse, or the King James I was raised on says, let there be a firmament. I spent my whole life trying to, what is a firm? I know it's firm. I mean, what is a, what is a firmament, right? And this word that we're trying to, the reason that we have all these different translations of it is we don't have a good word for this word in English. It's a Hebrew word, rakia, rakia. And that word is a noun, sorry, and it comes from a verb, and the verb is the word raka, which means like to hammer something out so that it's flat. So if you want to get a picture of, of the rakia, think of if you've ever made tortillas. Right? Or if you've seen somebody make a tortilla, we start with like a ball of masa, right? And then what do they do? Right? 
This is raka, right? We're pounding it out. We're pounding it out. We're making it flat. So if they had a chunk of copper and they wanted to turn it into a bowl, they would take a hammer, bam, 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 and they would hammer it and flatten it and hammer it and flatten it and hammer it and flatten it. The verb is raka. The thing they made is rakia. So it says, above all of this, God placed rakia. Fascinating, Larry. So what? Right? I'll tell you so what. No, it does. It matters. It matters. Listen, it matters. I'm telling you it matters. It really matters. It matters to me. Okay, and here's why it matters. The design of the tabernacle, this tent, church place, in the wilderness, the design of the tabernacle imitated the garden. Because in the garden, there was, there was land, man's space, right? And then there was the sky, and then there was this divider, this rakia, and then there was God's space, land, sky, rakia, God's space. They really thought that if you could get in a helicopter, right, and go up there, you could and knock on this divider between them and God, and the tabernacle imitated that. Because in the design of the tabernacle, there were three chambers. There was the courtyard, Right, where the common folk went. Then there was the, the sanctuary, or the holy place. That's where mostly priests went. And then there was this rakia. There was this divider. There was this veil, this curtain that divided the holy place where man was from the holy of holies, where only God could go. The tabernacle was a temple. It was supposed to remind them of the garden. It was this utterly special, completely holy, sacred place where God's space and man's space came together and overlapped. So the next overlap. Um, David's son Solomon thought that God deserves something better than a tent. So he built the super fancy temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, of course. And there, there were also three chambers, right? There was the courtyard, then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies, the most holy place. And just like in the tabernacle, there was a divider, right? There was this 45 foot, like a rakia, right? There was this 45 foot tall, super thick curtain, this, this veil that separated the holy place where the priest could go from the holy of holies, where only God was. In fact, one priest, one day a year, got to go through the veil and into the holy of holies. And when they were building the tabernacle and when they were building the temple, God gave them very specific instructions on how to build it and what the materials should be so that they could make the tabernacle and the temple feel like the garden. And there are so many connections and similarities and hyperlinks between the garden and the tabernacle and the garden and the temple, which I would love to talk about today, but we just don't have time, Google it. But the important thing is, Google, Google the Garden of Eden as a temple. It'll, it'll freak you out. The important thing for us to hear though is that although God's space and man's space were separate spaces, there were these temple situations, right? There were these overlaps, these places where God's space and man's space overlapped. There was the garden, then there was the tabernacle, and then there was the temple, 
And then the best one was in the person of Jesus. Jesus was what? The spirit of God living in a man's body. So he was a perfect overlap of God's space and man's space. And in fact, if you look at John 1, 14, it says the word, who's the word? Jesus. Jesus became human, it says in the New Living Translation, and made his home among us. Made his home. This is the Greek word, episkenuo. And what it means is he pitched his tent. He built his tabernacle. So what this says is Jesus became human and he pitched his tent with us. He made his tabernacle like ours. Jesus' body was the tent. Jesus' body was the tabernacle. It was the place where God's space and man's space was the same space. Jesus' body was the temple. That's why they made such a big deal. Remember when Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days and they all got all mad at him. That's why. It's because Jesus' body was the temple. He was the new humanity. He, he, he was a human body that was full of God. So he, he was the temple. He was Eden. He was paradise. He was the tabernacle. He was the place where God's space and man's space was the same space. But remember, Jesus didn't just come to model the new humanity. He came to create it in us. And when Jesus died, something really important happened in the temple. And Matthew 27, 51 says, at that moment when Jesus died, it says at that moment, the curtain, the veil in the sanctuary of the temple was, was torn in two from top to bottom. So there's, remember, remember the temple, there's a place where the regular people are, there's a place where the priests are, there's this thick veil, this curtain, this rakia, and then there's God's space, right? And so it says when Jesus died, this, that, that curtain was torn top to bottom. So do you see what that represents? This is a huge, huge thing for us to understand. Just like the rakia, right? The veil separated God's space from man's space. So when that veil was torn, it gave us access to God's space, his provision, and his protection, and his purpose, and his presence. And that's why Hebrews 10 says, in verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into his most holy place. So now, now, even before his kingdom has fully come, we can enjoy what he intended in the first place. Right? We can enjoy his provision. We can enjoy his protection. We can fulfill his purposes as we enjoy his presence. Because now he lives in, number six, us. Yeah, right? First Corinthians 6, 19. We're his temple. We are the temple. We are the temple. It goes Eden, mountains, tabernacle, temple, Jesus, us. We are his temple. First Corinthians 6 says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? 
What a weird image. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's because God's Spirit lives in us. So we are now this, this place where God's space and man's space are the same space. But listen, it's this paradox, right? Because it's here and it's coming. And I, it, we, sometimes it feels back and forth, honestly, right? Even, even Paul describes that feeling. Like, it seems like I should be further than this, right? It, I, I try hard, but I keep messing up. In, in Romans 7, like at the end, oh my gosh, I just keep doing wrong. I keep trying to do better. So it's like, it's, it's here, it's here, it's here, and it's coming. And so we have this back and forth. Sometimes I feel like um, when my body or my brain or my mouth or my old self like rears its head, I don't feel like a temple of God's spirit. Do you ever feel that? Maybe we all do. But this feeling, like, I, I believe it, but I, I'm not experiencing it. I don't feel it. But then there are those other times, right? It is amazing in the overlap. It is incredible to be in the same space with God, even if it is limited, even if it is just here and later to have a little taste of the kingdom that we were created to live. And it'll be awesome someday when God's kingdom is fully come and our bodies and our minds and our mouths can catch up with his amazing spirit inside of us. God is omnipresent, right? That means he's, he's everywhere at the same time, but sometimes it seems like we just sense him more, right? He's there, he's everywhere. But it's like we're more aware of him. And that's, that's the overlap, right? It's when we're just aware of him. And that's, that's the temple experience. That's, that's a little sample, right? That's a little... That's a little home cooking taste of the kingdom that we were created to live in. In the last few weeks, we've talked about how we can experience the overlap and how can we, can, we can be more aware of God's kingdom here and now through like his protection, right? He's not just keeping us safe from disease and accidents and bad relationships and bad seafood. He's also, Jesus said that we can pray that he'll protect us from the evil one that he'll protect us from temptation and evil and death. So we can experience God's kingdom here and now through his protection. We can also experience his kingdom here and now through his provision, right? Just like in the garden. James 1.17 says, everything good and perfect, everything you have that's good, everything that you experience that good, that's good is a gift coming down to us from our Father. I think the secret to being more aware and experiencing the overlap of the provision of God is to practice gratitude. Because just like, just like God is everywhere, whether we sense him or not, we're blessed, whether we know it or not. And when we, when we choose to see that, 
right? When we choose to acknowledge it, that's when a good circumstance becomes an experienced blessing, right? That's when it becomes an actual overlap of God's kingdom provision. We can also experience the overlap of his kingdom in this world through his purpose, through his purpose. So his, his protection, his provision, these are all ways that we can experience his kingdom here. We can experience his kingdom now. Also through his purpose. God, God gave mankind a purpose in the garden, right? Here it is, uh, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish and the birds and all the animals. So who, who governs a kingdom? Who reigns over a kingdom? The king, yeah. The original plan was that mankind would rule God's creation in unity with God. And the first man to really do that was Jesus. Why? Because he was the temple. He was the place where God and man were completely together. He was God's spirit fulfilling his purpose in man's body. But now we're that body. And God has given us a purpose. And each one of us has a part to play in bringing his kingdom here, bringing his rule and his reign to this world. So we can experience God's kingdom in these little tastes, right? These little overlaps of his protection and his provision and his purpose. But today we're gonna focus on experiencing God's kingdom here through not just his protection, his provision, his purpose, but through his presence. We can experience his kingdom here in this overlap of his presence. So in Revelation 21.3, it's gonna tell us the big story. It's at the end of the story, right? It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne and he said, look, God's home is now among his people. Exclamation point there. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. He can't believe it. He says it again. God himself will be with them. And then he goes on to say, oh yeah, by the way, wrongs will be righted and tears will be dried and everything will be made new and all that stuff. But the best thing, the best thing is that we will always be with God that we will, we will fully experience his presence, right? And we've all been curious about heaven. You know, what's it like? Are the streets really gold? It says there's no sun. How does that work? There's rivers running everywhere. Do we really get wings? What's all this stuff about perfect bodies? Does that mean we can eat whatever we want? Am I gonna have a mansion? Do we get to keep our pets? Are we gonna know each other? I'm a remarried widow. Who am I gonna be married to? What's the deal with the mini harps? Are we gonna have access to the internet? What's it gonna be like? Right, that's, that's, that, and I'm just gonna tell you, listen, the Bible's not super clear on that stuff, but it's clear on this. It will be amazing because it's the world as our perfect God perfectly created it in the first place. It's his perfect people, perfected people in his perfect place, enjoying his perfect protection and provision and purpose. But the best thing about God's kingdom isn't the place and it's not the perks of the provision and the protection, it's, it's it's the presence of this amazing person that you will be able to see and touch and talk to and hang out with and experience God. And we can't, we, 
We can't fully do that right now, right? We can't fully see him right now. Nobody but Jesus has ever really seen God. Even Moses, remember when he was on Mount Sinai, he had to like hide in a, in a cave so he would only get a little glimpse. He couldn't see them all. His body, the, his body was not perfected yet, right? So his body couldn't take it to see God. It's like looking at a solar eclipse. You have to wear the sunglasses or something, right? You, he couldn't do it. He couldn't take it all. So right now what we look at, when we see God now, we're getting little samples. We're getting little snippets. We're getting little tastes of him in creation or in, in beauty or in life or in people that are created in his image or in miraculous things that he's done to protect us and provide for us and give us purpose. Those are just little, little tastes. But when we fully see God, when we fully experience God for all he really is, the place and like the perks and your pets are going to seem completely unimportant and completely irrelevant. So here's, here's my question. How do we get a taste of that now? How, how can we become, become like more engaged with and more? He's here. He's everywhere. How do we get more aware of, of not just his protection and his provision, right, and his purpose, how do we get ourselves more aware of his presence? Now, how do we get into that overlap? Or we can experience, I love his provision. I love his protection. I love his purpose. How do I get in the overlap of experiencing his person, right? How do I get his presence? How do I get to like sense him and feel him and touch him now, and one of the best ways is in worship, because worship is that place where we pray and yell and sing about how amazing our God is. And what, here's this important: worship isn't for us. Worship isn't for us. Worship is for God, but it has an amazing, happy side benefit for us, because just like His provision. God's purpose, I'm sorry, God's presence is all around us. God's presence is all around us. And worship is where we choose to see him, right? Worship is where we choose to acknowledge how amazing and powerful and loving and perfect he is. And then to sing about it to anybody that'll listen. Psalms 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That's like a really weird image. He lives in, the, what is that? It's, what it's referring to is the tabernacle, right? It's this, it's this place, and God's people were there. God's people were there in the courtyard, right? God's people were there, and they're lifting their hands, and they're falling to their knees, and they're worshiping him in those outer courts. And then the priests were there, representing the people with sacrifice, and incense, and these psalms, and these songs, and these prayers in the holy place. And then God was enthroned, right? God was sitting. God was living. God was inhabiting the very next room. And God's space and man's space was only separated by that veil. That's it. Just this little, this little curtain and I wonder if when they sang, 
wonder when they yelled, when they played their instruments, when they worshiped and shouted. I wonder if that curtain fluttered. So they could get a little taste. I wonder if it moved just a little. So they could kind of see around it. They could sort of see under it. I wonder if they got a little taste of glory around the edges when they worshiped. And can you imagine this amazing, indescribable, incomprehensible God in the next room? And the only thing separating us from his presence is this curtain, this veil. And when Jesus died to give us new life as a new humanity in God's kingdom, do you see the power of this image? of the veil being torn in two. And I've read that my whole life. I always thought about it falling. It doesn't say it fell. It wasn't cut in half so they could see under it, clearly, right? It was just split down the middle. So it was like, it was, it was still there. Jesus is our, is our access to God's kingdom and protection and provision and purpose and his presence. Jesus is our access. But I guess... Symbolically, the veil is still there, right? It's still between us and God. It's thin, but it's, he's in the next room. It's still there. But it's torn. But it's torn. So this experience it's a paradox, right? It's, it's here and it's coming. We can't fully, constantly experience God's presence in this world. But we can have a taste of home cooking, right? We can, like, like this, this, this curtain's flapping, man. <laughs> it's like, it's torn. And every once in a while, you know, it's gonna open up for us and we're gonna be able to, to really experience his presence. We're gonna see him around it, under it, between it. We can experience him in worship because this is where we, we sing about what we can see now in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And as we sing out, to anybody that'll listen, right? We remind ourselves that our perfect, holy, unsearchable, incomprehensible God is right here, only separated by this little torn curtain. So if we want to get in that overlap, right, if we want to become more aware of God's presence, if we want to really experience God's kingdom here and now, one of the best things we can do is worship him. So here's what's gonna happen next. I'm gonna pray. And our worship team's gonna come out and, and lead us in a couple of songs. And as they do this, I'm gonna ask you to remember something. Don't look at them now, listen. Remember this. The veil is torn, right? God is near. And we can actually experience his presence now.
So whatever worship looks like for you, I mean, maybe it's sitting quietly and absorbing the lyrics. Maybe it's yelling out the name of Jesus. Maybe it's kneeling down or standing up or clapping or wooing or raising your hands or singing as loud as you can. But however you do it, let's honor God in our worship. He is so worthy. And let's, let's not do it half-heartedly. You know, let's, let's flutter that torn veil. God deserves it, man. He's worthy of our praise, whether we feel anything or not. But maybe, maybe, as we give him the worship he deserves, we'll flutter that curtain and we'll get a glimpse, a taste of who God really is. And maybe today, today, we can experience the overlap of the presence of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this amazing promise that we have that someday we will be reunited with you completely and that our space and your space will be the same space. May your kingdom come. That's our prayer. We want to experience you completely. We want to experience your protection and your provision and your purpose. And we want to experience your presence. We want to touch you and see you and feel you. So God, I just thank you for these overlaps, these little glimpses that you've given us of what it's going to someday be like to be fully with you. And I just pray now that we will honor you, Jesus, with the songs that we sing and the way that we sing it. And as we clap or raise our hands or whatever we do, we will honor you with our worship because you deserve it. And whether we feel anything or not, you're worthy of it. But my prayer today, I guess, is a little selfish. Will you help us? Will you empower us? Will you allow us to worship you in such a powerful way with everything we have that it flutters that curtain so that we can see a little more of you and your kingdom and your love for us? God, be honored in our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.